Welcome to A Moment with Modern Mentors, a podcast series by Digital Collective Co, where we soak up wisdom, anecdotes, and actionable tips from Australian startups, female founders, business leaders, industry pioneers, and C-suite executives. My name is Rachel Chant. I am a theatre director and one of the festival directors of Bondi Festival, which is an arts festival that happens in Bondi over winter. So we're just about to kick off our 17 days and night of theatre, comedy, cabaret, circus, ice skating, lots of other, gosh, it's not that far away. And already I'm like, oh, there's so many little bits and pieces of it that I can't even capture in my one sentence. Hi, it's Mia from A Moment with Modern Mentors. And this week, episode eight of season two of Call for Change, we are meeting Rachel Chant. She's a theatre director and festival director for Bondi Festival. And she has just launched and is about to open the Bondi Festival 2021. After a year where the festival had to have a rest out for COVID reasons, they are relaunching in 2021 with an incredible lineup of artists cabaret, comedians, musicians. It is going to be amazing. There's over 30 events over a 17-night period. Rachel tells us all about the Bondi Festival, what it involves, what's involved in being a theatre director and a festival director, how she juggles working on the Bondi Festival plus having her own projects on the go as well. It's Awesome. What a dream job she's got. She has curated an incredible program this year. There's so many good shows to go and see. She gives us tips on what they are. So yeah, stay tuned, have a listen. And yeah, there's a great book recommendation in there as well. We meet Rachel. Hi, Rachel. It's so great to have you on a moment with Modern Mentors. Season two, A Call for Change. It's so exciting. We've been aware of Bondi Festival for quite a long time now. And it's been, you know, on everyone's mind. The Bondi community is getting very involved in it. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in Bondi Festival. What what started it all? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in regional New South Wales in a town called Armadale. And I moved to Sydney. So I I studied in Armadale and then moved to Sydney in 2009, I think. Nobody from my degree. I'm going way back here. You're getting the origin. <laughs> uh, but no, very few people from my degree moved to Sydney. So I kind of moved on my own and then had to build networks here. So one of the first things that I did was I got in contact with a company called Rock Surfers Theatre Company, who used to be the resident theatre company at the Bondi Pavilion. And so I got in touch with them and arranged to meet up. And so went and had a meeting with Phil Spencer on the balcony of the Bondi Pavilion. I was chatting to him and I said, oh, have you got anything? Like, is there anything I can volunteer on? Any way I can be involved? And he was like, oh, yeah, we've just started this new festival called Bondi Feast, it was called then. Am I looking for interns? Do you want to come and intern on the festival? So I interned on the festival in 2013 and then I loved it. And so then I was brought on board as associate producer for the festival in 2014. And then in 2015, I came on board as festival director. So it's sort of like one of those really great situations of being able to find something that you love and that you're able to grow in and yeah it's kind of one of those weird success stories that you don't hear of that often yeah absolutely and so you literally had come straight out of uni and beelined for 
Bondi and this opportunity and found it and then you've been involved in it ever since. Is that right? Yeah. So I think I'd been in Sydney for a little bit, by the like one or two years by the time I, I'm trying to do my maths there. Um, but, yeah, kind of jumped straight in. Didn't really know if festival direction or like festivals was something that I necessarily wanted to work in. So I'm a theatre director, so I was kind of looking for opportunities to maybe assistant direct on a play or sort of be involved in the plays. But then the opportunity came up on the festival and I loved it because I got to meet so many people so quickly because, you know, you get to meet all of the artists and you get to sort of work with all of them in some way or other, you know, just like kind of be involved. And I didn't realise how much I would love it. So I'm very glad that I did love it because... yeah. I can imagine the festival has changed quite a lot since 2013, right, from the Bondi Feast. And tell us about what it was like back then and now where it's at now. Totally. So uh, 2013 Bondi Feast, I think we ran for 10 nights. We were just within the Bondi Pavilion. And that year I think we had some shows in the Bondi Pavilion Theatre in the Ocean Room, which is like a tiny little um, kind of meeting room in the Bondo Pavilion, which we turned into a 30-seat theatre, and the Dolphin Room, which was another little mini room there, which we turned into a 40-seat theatre. And then we had, I think, one show that took place in the Seagull Room, which was that big ballroom that used to be in the Bondo Pavilion, and maybe one show that was downstairs in the gallery. So it was it was pretty small. They were meeting rooms with curtains wrapped around them and a bunch <laughs> yeah. of blue school chairs put in them. So I think we had about, there were less than 20 different shows on that year. And then, you know, in 2019, I think we had 50 different productions that came. We were working within the Bondi Pavilion, but then also we built a festival garden out the back. There was a 120-seat circus tent out the back. We, we were able to build circus. We had some fire pits. We had roaming performances around. We've sort of, in 2019, Bondi Feast had grown to sort of the biggest it could be. And then that's when we decided to merge forces with Bondi Winter Magic to become Bondi Festival. So then that's sort of how those two worlds grew and it's continuing to grow. And how, so how long has that been the case for that that's since 2019 is it that you've merged the two yeah so in after the 2019 festival that's when we sort of got the cogs moving to merge the two 2020 was to be our our big hurrah for our bondi festival obviously that didn't happen uh, because the world had other (laughs) ideas but 2021 is going to be the first year that bondi festival proper makes its way into the world and Bondo Winter Magic is the Ferris wheel and the ice rink. And that's merged with all the acts and arts and culture schedule. Yeah, that's right. Amazing. What's involved in kind of putting on a festival? How long does it take you to get it all set up and ready for a launch? And how does that feel? Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, so <laughs> it's, a, it's a year-round job. I co-direct the festival with my colleague Phil Spencer, so that guy that I met on that balcony yeah. in 2013. <laughs> we now run the festival together. So we work on the festival year-round part-time, so we both, Phil's a writer and a performer, and like I said, I'm a director, so we both sort of have our other projects going on the boil throughout the year. We often say we've got probably the best job in the world because we get to go to Adelaide Fringe and we get to go to Perth Festival and we get to sort of travel around the country to suss out what the best shows are or the kind of artists that we're really interested in or what's going well Mm -hmm. and what's exciting us. And 
throughout the year we're, we're watching shows. So the festival's on sort of June, July. Then we spend, you know, August evaluating the year that's been, then September we're planning next year. So the wheels again get turning and around September we open submissions for artists and around Jan, Feb, and then by late March, early April, we're hoping to have completely locked off our arts program and then announce it into the world by May and ready to go again by June, July. So it's kind of just a, an ever-moving beast. Yeah. I mean, it feels like your program this year is pretty jam-packed full of incredible talent, not only from Australia, but also some overseas talent too, right? Yeah. So this year, because of the COVID situation we're in, this year was going to be our small festival. So uh, <laughs> we've been talking about this this year's festival as being, you know, significantly smaller. And it is, you know, it definitely is. But when we looked at everything that we've managed to fit within this year's program, it's still quite hearty. So got about 30 different productions taking place over the 17 days and nights. And yeah, you're right there. Lots of Bondi locals, lots of Sydney locals, and then we've got some interstate shows. But yeah, this year we're pretty excited that we've actually been able to sneak in an international <laughs> act. But it's an audio app. So the artists that are bringing us that, it's called uh, Half Man, Half Bull. And they're from the UK. They're a company called the Flanagan Collective. And it's actually my favourite show in this year's festival. (laughs) So what we've got is we've got a little campfire down on the sands of South Bondi Beach. You come down, you BYO headphones, you come down, you settle down by the fire. The waves are like rolling in in the background. You can see sort of the seagulls flying around above you. You put on your headphones and you listen to this sort of storytelling musical version of the story of Theseus and then the story of Daedalus and so it's amazing it's like these artists are incredible they're kind of like um I don't know Arctic Monkeys meets the streets meets Greek (laughs) and you're listening to it and then just sort of painting your own music video in your head as you're watching it. It's it's Uh, wonderful. I went down to the beach and tested it a couple of weeks ago and I was like, great, yeah. (laughs) Winner. Yeah. (laughs) What an amazing setting of Bondi Beach and Bondi itself. I mean, the world's kind of most famous beach. And do you have uh, ambitions for the festival that become the Edinburgh Festival? Is there a world in which this little Bondi Feast Festival, now Bondi Festival, could become a globally renowned festival? Look, it's actually something that Phil and I have talked about a lot and we've seen it over the last uh, however long 2013 was, but we've seen it over that time grow in reputation and grow in name and now, you know, when we go to Adelaide, when we go to Perth, when we go to Melbourne, people know who we are. Yeah. So that's been great. But what's always been really important to us is that the festival not get so big that it loses its sort of intimate spark. And so whilst we're building the festival in a way that we hope that it does grow in international renown, what we want to do is to keep it curated, to keep it small, to keep it intimate. Phil and I go and see absolutely every show that's on at the festival and that's really important to us. So we want to make sure that it never grows so big that it loses what it is that's unique about it, I think. 
Yeah. And I guess obviously, you know, having a, a, a renown around the world doesn't necessarily mean that it's got to be so huge. It can be yeah. still nice and intimate, but also have amazing artists come to it. And obviously when, when things open up, that's, you know, the world is your oyster there. How does Waverley Council kind of get involved? What's, what's the objective here? Is it really about community? Is it about commerce? What, what's the, the point of the festival apart from obviously bringing arts and culture? And how does Waverley kind of play a part in that? Yeah, so Waverley Council run the festival and support the festival. Like I said, the festival used to be owned by Rock Surface Theatre Company and then Rock Surface Theatre Company were one of the companies that were victim to some arts cuts back in 2015. So when Rock Surfers no longer survived, Waverley Council saw Bondi Feast at that time and got really excited about it and took it and breathed life back into it, which was really amazing. For Waverley, it's about, it's a way of supporting the arts and it's the way of, uh, you know, Bondi during winter is quiet. It's you know, it's kind of my favourite time in Bondo because, like, you just see the beauty of it without it being inundated. So, so there's, <laughs> like, a weird sort of peace to Bondi in winter. Oh, I, I completely agree. Yeah. But then what that brings with it as well is, you know, the businesses need support, the area needs life breathing into yeah. it. So I think that's the magic that Waverley saw in the potential of Bondi Festival, that it could breathe life into Bondi during winter. So is it very family-focused this year or always is family-focused? I know a lot of the program is for children or parents with younger children. Tell us a little bit how you plan that programming around your audience and who your audience is. Are they coming just from Bondi or from out of area as well? We like there to be something for everyone within the program. So when we joined forces with Bondi Winter Magic, which naturally has that sort of family audience in it, you know, the ice rink and the Ferris wheel really bring the families down. And we'd never done family programming within the arts program before. So we'd only ever done sort of 18 plus programming. But a lot of our artists, you know, a lot of the artists that have their adult show also have their family show. That's sort of um, part part of how they work. And so it was a really exciting opportunity for us to be able to include family programming within the arts program. And so we've got this year we've programmed all day and all night so that, you know, you can come down and bring your family down to see a show and then you can come back by yourself at night time. It's still like about 60-40, so 40% family programming, 60% grown-up programming at the moment. <laughs> but we're really excited. It's it's our first year of doing this. It's a risk, you know. We didn't know for sure how the family programming would go, but it's gone gangbusters most of the family shows are already sold out and we haven't even hit school holidays yet so um we're pretty excited about it it feels like now the festival really is for everyone in a way that it hasn't necessarily been able to be before yeah amazing and you do ticketing on the program don't you it's not just free programming there's paid programming as well yeah so a majority of our events are paid events what's been really important to us is that everything stays super affordable and accessible so you know because artists take a risk with shows so we want artists to be able to be supported properly by our festival but also we want to make sure that everyone can come along so no ticket is over I don't even think we've hit $35 this year so everything is under $35 the family shows are even cheaper 
we don't want you to have to break the bank in the middle of winter to come out. Like it takes a lot to get people to leave the house in winter as it is. Um, so we never wanted to make price an extra barrier there for that as well. Yeah, fantastic. And each year you say you open up your the festival to locals and, and kind of people to put themselves forward. How does that work? So do you see lots of kind of local or young artists from the area applying for a slot on the program and then how do you choose? How to, tell us how that process takes place. It's an interesting alchemy curating a festival. So we open for submissions, like I said, in Jan to March, generally every year. And then it's about looking at what is available in terms of our space every year. So, you know, this year we're working, our only venue really is the upstairs at the Wayside Chapel. So it's about, you know, what shows will work in that venue and what shows will work with a small intimate audience as opposed to some shows, you know, you feel like you need the big house of 200 in order to really make at Spark. So it's about looking at the venue. It's about looking at what else we've got in the program. I remember one year we had four Amy Winehouse cabarets pitched to us and we were like, great, <laughs> we can't program all four of these unless we, you know, yeah. there was a moment where we thought, oh, maybe we just have an Amy Winehouse venue and that's just what that is. It's a tricky job. And I think that's why Phil and I work together so well as well, because we both have different tastes. We feel like we can represent different audiences as well in terms of thinking about who might want what and what our audiences want to see. There are some fierce, I wouldn't say arguments, but there are some fierce discussions in that. Negotiations. (laughs) (laughs) Every now and then you have to pull in a third party to be like, all right, what do we reckon? But generally once you sort of start getting the pieces of the festival together, we're like, okay, you know, it kind of starts to speak for itself and to say what it needs, you know, the gaps start to show themselves and you're like, all right, we need something like this or something like that yeah. to really round it out. So it's it's my favourite yes. part of the year after the festival itself, but the, the curating that week is pretty exciting, getting to dream up what it's actually going to be. And you and Phil, you've kind of almost created a bit of a, an identity around yourselves and the festival now, which I think is really great because, it, it, you know, having that person or people that you can say, okay, this is who's put it on, builds a real kind of connection for the audiences. Tell us a little bit about how you stepped into those roles and, and, and what your two roles are. Yeah, look, we're often asked to describe how we differentiate our roles and it's really tricky. Because Phil, Phil's a writer and so he has a very distinct voice and then I also have my own particular style. But what's happened over the last few years is that now we've been able to write things and you can't tell whether it's come from Phil or me, <laughs> which I think is a good thing. It's really tricky to kind of outline where one of us professionally where one of us ends and the other one and the other one kind of begins which is a really good thing because it means that when one of us is away then the other one really can hold the fort together and we can sort of work very seamlessly in that sense but we so we're co-directors we um like even now you can see me sort of <laughs> struggling to to talk about how how that breakdown really works 
do you have different roles that you both do or do you both kind of just collaborate on everything and, and divvy things up on the fly? It's it's more the latter. So we have we have different strengths within us. You'll just naturally pick something something out and, and work on that. It just works. Yeah, it's like it shouldn't work. It shouldn't work, but it does. I'm sure it's infuriating for people working alongside us, being like, who is doing this? And we're like, <laughs> we, we both are. Just be south folks. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously professionally you're you've kind of, you know, I guess built up a bit of an identity around Bondo Fest thing. What does this mean for you personally in terms of kind of your own career growth and where you've come from? Because obviously you've got another part of you which is a, a theatre director that you do as well. Just talk us a little bit how you balance both these roles and, and how it kind of fits in with your personal goal of your career. Yeah, so I am um, a theatre director in my other life, I guess. It's another life. Um, <laughs> so I've just come off working on a show at Ensemble Theatre and I yesterday had auditions for my next play with Australian Theatre for Young People and then I'm heading off directly after this to do some promotional work for another show that I've got coming up next year. So it's sort of... <clears throat> It's all happening at once at the moment, which is always the way. But, yeah, also like a very, I feel very privileged to to have a lot of work at the moment given, you know, given the last 12 months of when we didn't know, you know, what kind of work was going to be around at the moment. So I feel like I'm in a really fortunate and a really great position. But, yeah, it's my work at the festival is part-time so year-round it's part-time and um you know obviously cranks up to full-time during during certain periods um but it's great because it means that I can go off and direct a show and I can sort of be working on other projects on the side which which I think is why I've been able to work on the festival for so for such a long time so it's been I think eight eight years of working on the festival now and I think that part of that is because the festival keeps growing and so the festival and my personal um, sort of ambitions for growth are, are going up alongside of each other, which has been really wonderful. But then it also means that I've been able to, because I've been able to do these shows on the side, I feel like I've been able to grow in all of, all yeah. facets alongside each other, which has been. Yeah, it seems so complimentary. And I guess as you become more experienced at, at running the festival, and you understand the process around it better and better every year, you then know the parts of the festival that are going to be full-time and you can kind of accommodate that in your, you know, booking your other work. How fantastic. I mean, it just sounds like a, a fantastic uh, symmetry that you've got going on with the festival and also doing directing work because it keeps you keeps your hand in the actual directing part, right? Yeah, and it means that, you know, I always think, like, it really helps to be a part of the industry, you know? So it's... Yeah. it's Yeah, it's, you know, if you're working as an artist, you understand what it's like to program an artist and you understand what it's like to not program an artist. And so I think that's a really important thing to stay involved in. And, you know, they just satisfy different parts of my brain as well. Uh, I, I, I love curating the festival and I love working on the festival, but it's a completely different thing to, you know, working with the creative team to bring a play together and to, and to bring that to life. So it's, I feel very lucky to be able to do both things that I love. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, it sounds wonderful. 
So I wonder, I wanted to just kind of before we sign off talking about Bondo Festival and start talking about a few other things, um, tell us your hot tips for the festival, things that we've just got to see if they're not already sold out. <laughs> uh, 100% get down to half man, half bull around the fireside. Yes. It is excellent and it's going to be magical. Um, and, I mean, just bring a coat. Bring a coat. You'll be around the fire, but I think still bring a coat. But I think the Pinchetta Caristo is an excellent upcoming comedian and so she's got this excellent show about having to change her identity um, as a result of domestic violence. So it's this really important show that she is just so funny and one of the funniest young women that we've got coming out at the moment. So I would definitely get along to that. And then Werewolves, although Werewolves is almost sold out, but Werewolves is going to be so much fun. So it's an interactive role-playing game. I did it in Adelaide a few years ago and then I've gone back and done it every time that I've been in Adelaide because it's just so good and the host Nick is incredible and his costume, you'll see him around Bondi in his costume. And his costume is much better suited to Bondi in winter than it is to Adelaide in the middle of summer. (laughs) (laughs) Note to self. (laughs) And it must be so rewarding seeing, well, knowing that the programming that you're doing is really helping some of these artists launch their career, right? Yeah, we... um I think one of the things that's been really great about Bondo Festival is that we try to balance emerging artists with more established artists. So, you know, somebody that's doing their first show can be sharing a double bill with somebody like Michael Hing, who's on Triple J and, you know, quite a successful comedian. And so, that's something that we've always kept as part of our remit. And it's so good, you know, somebody, some of the people that we've programmed in our first year are now way too big for us. <laughs> and, and that's a really great thing. Um, <laughs> we love that. And, you know, there's yeah. some of the artists. You can put your hat on them now. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> we'll do it. Yeah. We launched yeah. them. <laughs> And I mean, I'm part of the Bono Chamber of Commerce, as you know, and um, we also have been working with with Bono Festival and, and Waverley Council to help Bono businesses sponsor the festival. But that's pretty exciting too, right? Local businesses and and all businesses the chance to be part of the festival itself and really drive that commerce and um, business piece too. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you kind of carve out festival assets to support local businesses and and get, help them get involved? Yeah, one of the things that we're excited about this year is that we've started or well, we've kind of just re- rebranded and renamed I guess the program a program called Festival Finds where lots of local businesses can offer their special offers to um to the festival audiences and this is just sort of a small way that we're hoping will bring audiences to Bondi and then get them to stay and you know engage in what's going on in Bondi as well because our audiences 25% from the Waverley LGA, and I think 23% of that is from Bondi itself, but then 75% is shipped in. And so we have a lot of audience from the inner west and, you know, out wider as well. We spend a lot of time cafe hopping around Bondi, and so we're hoping that when our audiences come, then they can sort of hang around and see what's there beyond the beach as well, you know, to have a look closer and see what else is going on. 
Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you. That's been so interesting and fascinating and, gosh, job envy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I wanted to just ask you a couple of questions that we ask all of our guests because we're kind of starting to run out of time, unfortunately. One of the questions is what book have you read recently that really has impacted you, whether it's in a professional way or personal way that you would like to share with the audience? Oh, these are the ones that I really should have thought about before before (laughs) just jumping online. Um, I can give you the second question and you can have a little kind of think in your head about it. The other question is if you had a megaphone right now, and you were able to speak to the world about what topic, what would that important topic in your mind be? Let me answer the first question first. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, the book that stuck with me was The Museum of Modern Love. Have you read it? No. It's amazing. It's by an Australian author, Heather Rose. And so I probably read it about a year and a half ago and I found myself like, falling in love with the arts all over again as a result of it. So it's sort of about, uh, look, I'm not going to talk talk about what it's about, but Marina Abramovich is like a a big character in it and this idea of the muse and art and just falling in love with the process and falling in love with art and I think everyone should read it. I'm going to get it up on on the socials today and and spruik it out. Get a sense (laughs) of, you know, just what it is that art can do as well I think and I, yeah, and, I love it. and also absolutely. it's a it's a local author and I just love that and what I would shout about to the world god it feels so hard to have to choose one topic but because in the context of just having spoken about this and in the context of the year that it's been I think I would talk about the importance of art in bringing us together and the the, the role that it plays I think a lot of artists felt a lot of heartache around that during COVID when we lost our ability to do what we love and we also, there was that question of whether what we do and what's so important to us is important to the rest of the world. My friend sent me a message yesterday, she won't mind me saying it, but she took her two-year-old to see a play for the first time. I'm getting goosebumps already and I haven't even heard what you're going to say. <laughs> she said, we went to see this play. I watched my son gasp and beam and spontaneously erupt into applause, looking around to check that we had all seen the same thing that he did. Everyone laughed and exclaimed and sat still for 55 minutes in a way that would never happen in a TV or a classroom or anywhere else. He was so pumped afterwards, he ran all through town and tried to dive into every fountain. And I think just that feeling of collective experience and getting to see this two-year-old experience that for the first time is such a solid reminder of what it is that we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. And, I mean, really you feel that obviously the arts and culture industry has really hurt over the last 18 months now and continues to kind of in many countries around the world, you know, it's very difficult to kind of mobilise it even if you're being safe and socially distancing. It just really is hard to replicate. I know they've done a few festivals overseas just over the weekend which are COVID safe. You do your test before you go in and so on but it just makes it really really tricky for kind of scale and to make money out of it so you really do you know hats off to you for and the council for making this happen this year fingers crossed nothing kind of happens to to prohibit that but 
the arts and and culture industry is just incredible and the people you know are what give that electricity to so many from an artist and a you know a creative person like you what has kept you going through this period you're right in saying that this year like for australia australia is so much more fortunate than a lot of other um, countries when it comes to all things COVID and then like when it comes to the arts, you know, we, we are open again. We, the, the plays are running, the festivals are running and it's all happening. And I think that's been comparatively our shutdown period was, was brief. Artistically, you know, we use the time, I, I use the time to, uh, you know, to touch base with, uh, with other projects and to, to sort of, yeah. work on the things that we can work on when they're um, without an audience and to to develop projects and to dream up projects and to take a break as well. I mean, it has been hard, but also like a lot of it has been, you know, it's a, it's a busy life and to be able to take it to stop, to pause and to um, reassess and then start planning again is, is really important. And, you know, I think one of the hidden benefits of this really shitty time yeah, yeah, it's awesome. No, I think, look, you know, you've done an amazing job. I'm so excited and um, just full of anticipation around the Fondo Festival. It's been awesome talking to you, Rachel. Like, thank you so much for giving us um, such a lot of your time today and answering such, you know, fantastic questions. Oh, thank you, man. And, uh, it's been yeah. We open very, very soon. Um, so head to bondifestival.com.au to see what's going on. And if you do come, come and say hi. I'll be there every day. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe to our channel and stay tuned for more episodes from A Moment with Monumentors coming your way soon.